second. I was going to say the notes. Fitness Pro Mentor community, welcome to another episode of our podcast. And boy, Glenn and I are excited. Uh, we're jumping into some slightly different stuff. One of the things that I've been really passionate about for a long time through Fitness Pro Mentors and through Strata has been educating personal trainers. I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm super excited about it and been honored to have people like Glenn, Taylor, and maybe other colleagues uh, be involved with this Fitness Pro Mentors world. Part of the thing that we spent a lot of time talking about is how you can two to three X your personal training business. And honestly, even this morning, I got a message from a student that captured four new clients through one sale and got eight to 12 hours of clients per week from some of the processes we've taught with her, which is just absolutely fantastic. But before we jump into today's topic, Glenn, how are you doing today, sir? Very good. And we were talking before the call, a lot of good stuff with clients today, a lot of some breakthroughs, which I love. And now we get to be here talking about some practical stuff today. I know we talk a lot about the business end of things with everyone here, but we also love the science. We're nerds for science too, just like we're nerds for marketing. And so I think today talking about the Henneman principle, the science principle is going to be a fantastic tool for the trainers listening if they're not familiar with it, and even if you are familiar with it, we'll talk about some fun applications for hypertrophy, for paying clients, all that kind of stuff in today's episode. So I want to kind of give the providence of how this whole thing came up for us here at the, at the gym here. Um, one of the things that we used to do a lot of, and I was, I mean, extremely passionate about for a long time, long time, was using different force dosing and manual force scenarios on clients to try and help them change how their body was performing. So we'd identify difference in the range of motion, difference in the strength from one side of the body, and had a very binary approach. And so my friend Charlie McMillan punched me in the face with all of this post-activation potentiation information, which I'm extremely honored for, uh, really revolutionized how I think about skeletal muscle contraction, acute to chronic adaptations. And I'd say has been kind of some of the lifeblood for a lot of the things we talk about here at Strata Internal Performance. Uh, Greg Mack has created this program called the Muscle System Specialist Program, and through there, taken some of those ideologies and taken some of his ideas around configurationalism and how he does mobility profile and created some really unique ways of connecting all of these ideas together, which is super cool. Through my research of Roger Anoka, Mark Latash's neuro uh, mechanics of physiology. Um, these books, there's all this reference around the size principle, the Henneman principle. And I think it's really a fascinating topic because when it comes to high level performance of a client, when it comes to rehabilitation of a client, so you think of the extreme continuums of working with someone, there is a ton of practical payoff. And in fact, even our study groups on Friday, the last few weeks, we've been using it as our governing principle, not our only, but our governing principle. And there's a lot of really incredible information to unpack here that's going to be a lot of fun to apply into your personal training world. So I think before we talk about practical applications, obviously we have to understand the theory. Because if we, I, I think this is one of the big things that a lot of study groups miss um, when they're done at big gyms or you know between other people, which is if you don't understand the theory, the physiology, the biology of the mechanism and understand how it works, the application piece gets missed. Foundationally, you have to understand how the principle is applied uh, in the body and how it works physiologically in order to be able to make use of it to its fullest extent and to get creative with it. And one of the things that we always talk about here is if you want to have really amazing client results, your knowledge, breadth, and understanding basic physiology and, and force and physics is the cornerstone of how you do all that. Because if you can understand physiology, biology, and physics really, really well, you can almost work with pretty much anyone and understand how to help them, whether it's help them grow more muscle size, help them with their pain and discomfort, help improve mobility, lose body fat, whatever that is. So I would love if we could start with some theory stuff and then talk about how we apply this with some of our clients here, both maybe aesthetic and performance-wise, but also pain and discomfort. 
Yeah, so the Henneman principle is called the size principle, and we'll kind of go with like a really easy breakdown of it and then kind of start exploring it, exploding it from there. I think the easiest way to think of it, if you've never heard of the size principle before, is thinking if we have different size muscles, your body will use the smallest, least energy demanding muscles first and work its way up to the more expensive, bigger, more powerful muscles. So if we just take anatomical muscles that you're familiar with, which is not a great example, but play my game, we've got glute minimus, glute medius, and glute maximus. Even the anatomical name reference that each one of those muscles have a different size and priority within how uh, da Vinci named these muscles. So minimus, medius, Maximus. So we could think of very simply that these tiny, smaller muscles that might have more stability uh, involvement, that might actually have to contract isotonically all the time, are going to be not very energetically demanding. On the slower twitch continuum, they're smaller. They don't take as much work. As we have more demand, more stimulus, more stress, our body will start to move to faster twitch, more explosive, stronger force developer muscles, and then move all the way out to the faster explosive muscles, so rate of force development muscles. We go from glute minimus to glute medius to glute maximus. Now again, that is actually not true, but it's easy to kind of visualize small to next big and next big. I mean, it's kind of this idea, it's super silly, but if you've got three brothers and someone picks on the smaller one, well, they send the next bigger brother to fight off the bully, and then the biggest one comes in to kind of fight them off. And so, fun way of thinking of it. If you look up the size principle online, uh, you'll see this hyperbolic line starting off from a low amount of force development and a low amount of energy demand, and it kind of goes up in three stages from slow twitch to fast force development twitch to faster rate of force development twitch muscles. So we have how does our body save energy with these slower twitch muscles and then work our way up to these more explosive fast twitch muscles. And I think it's super cool. I mean, bringing up the discussion, one of the cool things that Jacques presented in a private presentation, oh no, he did it for the podcast, the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast. By the way, if you're not subscribed, you should definitely check out the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast. Incredible information up there, but we do the video stream in this group. And he shared um, this chart of an eight rep set that he did with deadlifts. And it, she, he had EM, all the muscles EMG'd so you could see the different muscles that were involved. And it was this really like cool that like every single rep you would see like, I'm going to make this up, but you'd see glute minimus on the first rep. Huge contractions, second set less, third set gone, fatigue. Second set, it cascaded up that from the first set, glute medius wasn't doing as much and then it got potentiated and then it dropped off to the fourth set. And it was like this, this ebb and flow of like switching from one muscle to another muscle. It was a relay, relay race from one muscle to another. And it was just so cool because it took the idea of the potentiation stuff that we have talked about so much, post-activation potentiation in its various forms, and the Henneman principle and stack them together that you could see in real time things were turning on better, getting more efficient, and then less efficient. But wait, somebody came in and he started losing performance when everything started to drop off. It was super cool. Yeah, and so this becomes really interesting because we start taking this idea and start applying it to uh, our clients. And think about someone who maybe hasn't really exercised or worked out before, right? Maybe it's like someone really fresh new, because openly, a lot of the times, those are the kind of people that we end up getting in our world are the people that they've never exercised before and they either want to gain some more muscle or they want to like move better or they've got some pain they're dealing with. One of the first things we have to ask ourselves is, are, do they have access to these muscles in their body that if we were using them, they would actually be able to work effectively and efficiently? Right? And I think a lot of times we see is for people who are deconditioned, maybe not even feeling pain or discomfort, but just deconditioned, they might not ever be used to accessing a lot of those higher twitch fibers in some of these different joints and some of these different areas. And how's that going to affect their day to day? 
right? If they're, let's use that example for Minimus, Medius, and Maximus. If these people don't really ever exercise, they're fairly sedentary, and they're not really trying to go too fast ever, and they're just kind of meandering around, and all of a sudden you put them on the leg press for the first time, which is going to, to some extent, ask for the recruitment of those muscle fibers, what's going to happen the first time they do that? Are they going to be able to access those? Or are they going to get really, really tired, devoid of any kind of burning sensation because they just can't get to that point where they can use them? So to start asking ourselves, okay, forget these individuals in here, what's their current status of each of these joints? And can they actually use them? And if they can't use them, that might be a good time to start thinking about, okay, well, what's going on with the Hanneman size principle here? Because there's, a really, good, um, there's a, a really good chance that if they feel really, really good extending and using the right knee on a knee extension machine, and for whatever reason, they can't do nearly as much, doesn't feel nearly as good on the left side, we can use this idea of the size principle to start encouraging maybe some of those smaller muscle uh, motor units to fire more, use those, um, those muscles uh, more and more frequently as we train them more and more often and get more and more out of that left side. Yeah, I think there's something beautiful to that. Yeah, I mean, and like, and this is really what it comes down to is like, this is a base principle. And we, listen, we can go, there's so many different ways, 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 um, ways we can take this, but I guess before we do that, the most beautiful thing about this is, is that this size principle is happening every time we exercise and every time we use our body, no matter what we're doing. And if you can understand the Henneman size principle and that your body wants to use the smallest muscle fibers that are most energy saving, uh, most fatigue resistance first, and then it gets into the, the, the more faster ones that are these little bit more energy and then the most explosive ones afterwards, you get some really cool exercise to progress people. And that's really what all this is, is about how do we find the right exercise with the right amount of force application, the right doses to have people feel really, really good. It's one of the reasons why perhaps even someone, something real simple for some people like stretching, right? Stretching, however you want to think about that for right now. But even just having someone stretch and visit positions they're not used to and having to contract those muscles, whether it's more of an in response to muscles uh, actively forcefully pulling them into position or whether those muscles that are stretching are doing most of the work themselves, they'll experience some really cool changes because their body's just not used to using those muscles in that way. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people who are inexperienced exercisers fall in love with yoga because the immediate acute effect from contracting muscles in positions you're not familiar with is really good. Absolutely. Right? Like stretching, if you don't do anything, going to a yoga class will give you some changes because you produce isometric, isotonic, isokinetic reactions in positions that you don't. And like Evan Pycon said in his podcast, in his podcast, the adaptations that you're going to get are going to be aggregately everything. Like it's not going to just be fast twitch Henneman principle. It's going to be your body's going to be storing more nutrients in the muscles. There'll be biochemical changes and neurophysiological changes. It's going to be immeasurable how much you'll benefit from that. But there is a point of diminishing returns. There is a point in which you won't see the same changes because your body will kind of stay in the same spot. Mm -hmm. I like to think of this in the aging world a lot because like I referenced, if, please look this up, uh, bell curve, just look up Henneman principle or size principle and you'll see the hyperbolic curve I talk about in recruitment. The second thing, if you're listening, that I'd love for you to look on your own so you don't believe me, is that your body, depending on your age and resources and hormone availability, can change phenotype of those fibers to some degree, not a massive amount. And there's a carryover. Like when we talk about fast twitch to slow twitch, there are tons of different types. I think my mentor Peter once told me there were thousands of different types like in between of each. I'm not sure if that's true, but there's a lot. 
you can train yourself explosively, fastly in a way that some of those slow twitch fibers that are on the edge of being faster twitch can transition to be more explosive and better at force development. This also goes the other way, that as you age, those faster twitch, higher force developing muscles are expensive. So your body will go if you're not using them. You know what? Let's put these things back to the slow twitch bucket. There's a thing that actually Glenn said that spoke, sparked a thought in my mind. I've always thought about aging, right? Date of birth, age 30, you start aging senescence, and then all the way down to date of death, you start breaking down. And I think you said quality of health, right? Like there's, there's how long do you live for, but then there's quality of health, which is a great way of saying it. And the reason why I say that is that if you have any clients who are inactive or inactive with one part of their body, you could think of that Henneman principle as being a, a reverse age line. Right. So if someone, for example, let's say let's say we have Glenn, right? Glenn, this guy, healthy male, doesn't exercise his feet ever, wears huge heavy orthotics, plays hockey, so he's getting some isotonic contractions through his feet, but never goes to extreme positions, and is not he's a very active muscular guy, but doesn't do much with his feet, wears socks and shoes in the house. The demand as he gets older on his feet, like at the age 30 and 40 and 50, he's going to be fine. But as he starts to get older and his body has less volunteer, less available resources to share around the body, well, what's the body going to do to those expensive, highly sensory, or sensory organs down in his feet? He's got a lot of skin that absorbs a lot of information through the sensory somatic receptors. We have a lot of skeletal muscle that are very explosive, fast twitch, and are really good at responding to quick forces. Tibialis anterior is a very fast twitch dominant muscle. What's going to happen? Well, if he's not using it, it's going to start going from that very explosive muscle that he could use to catch himself when he's falling to being strong and not as fast. And then if he really doesn't use it, he's going to get to this point where it's way more slower twitch and it atrophies. And some of those slow twitch muscles might even become more collagen based and actually start breaking down and have less contractile availability and start de-innervating that muscle to focus on stuff that he's got more of. Lens feet age faster than the rest of his body and almost proportionately following that hyperbolic curve. Isn't that huge? How many of you know someone that's like Glenn right now, and if I were to shove Glenn out of the chair, he could put his hand on the ground and his foot in the ground. He could catch himself and not fall. If I take Glenn, who doesn't exercise, and I double his age, call him 75, and I shove him, he, there's no way he can react. Is it because he's scared and he's old? No, it's because of those faster twitch, reflex-based skeletal muscles are not available to respond to that change in equilibrium. And that comes from practicing and stimulating it. The only difference between the 80-year-old grandmother that can go on the gymnastic rings and crush it and the one who can't is the one who's 80 probably never stopped. And she's accessing all of those contractile units. Thank you, Jacques, for that word. So it's interesting because when you look at the, the data, the, um, the metric for many, many years um, in terms of like health span versus lifespan, like Brennan said, lifespan is birth till death. Health span is how long you can live a strong quality of life for without being in the, below the disability line. And the, the number one indicator for um, your health span for a long, long time um, was going to be your grip strength, right? They said that the better your grip strength was, the better your health span. And recently that's been changed, has been updated to the faster you can get up off the ground, right, from like a lying down position, the better your health span is. And so if you take a look at some of our older elderly clients, we want to make sure that they have access to all their muscles so that they can, in some of these positions when they're lying down, create the momentum and orchestrate the event to be able to shoot up into certain positions, 
catch themselves comfortably without any pain and then move to the next position, so on and so forth. Because ultimately that's going to dictate their quality of life. How many people do you know who have to walk around with, with rollators or canes or whatnot who if they fell down, that's a big problem. That is a broken hip. That's my grandmother. Fell down, fractured hip, stuck in a home, can't move around. And how much farther does that set them back now that they can't even go for walks or move around because their hip now has to set for the next right, four to five to six to seven, eight to nine months, maybe even a year if it's terrible. And how's that going to affect the phenotype and their access of all these muscle fibers in a fast sequence later on? That's all it takes for these older populations, which is why it's so important that we think about this Henneman size pens when we work with people. Now, adjunct to that, when you think about it, you know, what is one of the big three things that muscles do? They, they move you into positions. They allow for joint displacement, right? Movement is essentially angular displacement of all your joints happening uh, sequentially in order to perform some kind of movement task. And if, like Brandon said, even one area doesn't move as well, doesn't have the ability to keep up, that's pretty much it. You're now at your lowest common denominator. But if we think about those clients that want to come in, they say, I want to have more flexibility and mobility. One of the best things that we can do is put them in a machine, and even if it's slowly, have them open up and move through as full of a range of motion as they can. Because just by moving into those fuller positions, they're going to have to be challenging these muscle fibers more and more because we know that as muscles sh uh, muscle shorten up what happens, they lose the amount of contractibility they have. And if they lose the amount of contractibility that they have, they have to call on more and more bigger, stronger muscle fibers to continue moving them into these positions. So even if you want a real easy place to start, if you're a newer trainer, a lot of this stuff sounds like maybe more mumbo jumbo, a real practical thing would be get a client into a machine that feels really good for them and have them move through a range of motion, even if it's slowly, that's gonna challenge them in positions they might not be visiting in their day-to-day -day life. That alone is gonna be utilizing the Henneman Science Principle so they can increase their mobility and thus their strength. Because a lot of times when clients say, hey, I wanna improve my strength, what are they really saying? I wanna have, have a higher quality of life. And they're actually associating that strength with being more confident and moving around, moving to weird funky positions that they can't right now. Because ultimately, if they can't move past their base of support very far because their hip muscles aren't strong enough to pull them out of certain positions and all of a sudden you train them and they have just access to those just by doing that a couple times a week for a month, you've made huge changes to the system. They're going to praise you. That's not uncommon. I had a client last week say the same thing where it's like just by doing simple hip abduction exercises with her and some easy leg pressing, she was saying she was more confident walking around for longer because she now has access to more of these muscles. You're not really changing too much in terms of muscular endurance in a couple weeks. But you for sure can recondition your nervous system to access more muscles in a couple weeks if you're doing the right things in the right dosages. I think about this, yeah, that's perfect. I think about this all in the uh, rehab pain sense a lot. Because a lot of the clients that I've uh, had to spend a lot of time with have got osteoarthritis and other chronic diseases that are not getting better. And when you have that stubbing toe response, you stub your toe, you start limping, you orchestrate skeletal muscle contractions differently so you don't feel the big toe. Well, if we think about that in, a, in an isolated sense with like an onion, well, we've got a, a stone that you step on in the middle of the onion, all the layers on the outside are going to start contracting a little differently. Some stuff's going to work way harder because it's great. Other stuff's right in the line of fire of where the pain is. So it downregulates force output to try and help respond and recover. There is some uh, neuroinflammation that happens to try and help it. It's, it can be a mess and also beautiful at the same time. But this client, this particular kind of client avatar keeps popping up for me, and I'm sure for a lot of you, which is the chronic neck, chronic headache, I always get the headache neck client. 
And I did a big breakdown. It was like 25 minutes of it in our study group on Friday. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in continuing the conversation around exercise mechanics, uh, we got some really interesting stuff at an inexpensive rate. But one of the things that pops up for me is most of us are familiar with isometric contractions, right? Isokinetic means same speed. Isotonic means uh, the same tension. Well, some of these clients, and I have one that's a 30-year-old athletic male. I've got women that are between 50 and 75, completely different. Each one of them have a very low threshold in which either their neck experiences mechanical tension and the nervous system responds by creating an inflammatory, neurogenic inflammation, nociceptive, or I don't like it response, or they experience tension and they experience some level of fear and the combination of the emotional endocrine uh, response and the actual mechanical tension starts to create this nociceptive skill that they developed. And I don't know which one that is in most cases. And there's probably, there are other reasons too, of course. But if someone has normative skeletal muscle anatomy in their cervical spine, they have no structural implications. There's no disease that suggests that there's any contraindications why you shouldn't be stimulating the cervical spine muscles. How do we stimulate it? Because the thing is that's really interesting to me is that me sitting here, there's a mess of isotonic contraction in my neck right now, helping me hold my head up. And in some cases, I don't have to think about it. And there's isometric, isokinetic, and isotonic things happening now to stay still. It's crazy. So we started doing this thing where I was thinking about the Henneman principle and potentiation and also referencing some of the research that Charlie McMillan has talked about in his podcast that he's done with Lyme studies is how little force exposure can I put through this thing to try and make some positive change, but not elicit the negative response. Either the fear factor, <laughs> that TV show was hilarious, um, or the actual mechanical change. And what was really crazy is I took this, this healthy female who was 50 years old and she wanted to try this and I put her into, now bear with me, I'm jumping ahead through some progressions here, so don't attack me right here, but I put her into our Nautilus shoulder press machine with the lightest weight I possibly could and I sat her down with the seat all the way down so she had the least amount of range of motion possible. I said, hey, can you try to push this thing up three times? And she did it and she had no problems. And she came back three days later and she had no problems, no fear, no pain. So we did the same thing for four and then five, and we worked all our way up. And now she's doing three sets of 10 with 20 pounds, and she's never done that before, not in the last 25 years. And so now we get to use this Henneman principle, and we get to work our way up. I love it. I think it's super cool. There's a lot of really incredible opportunity that gets to pop up with that. Absolutely. And so um, I think something interesting to look at would be maybe the effect of the Henneman size principle on hypertrophy. And when I say hypertrophy, I'm not necessarily thinking to myself, hypertrophy and that we're all trying to be bodybuilders, but there are times where both for aesthetic clients, sure, but also for like um, pain clients, some hypertrophy is a good thing for them because they need to be building up those tissues there so they're more resilient and so they don't give out as much during the day. And so when I'm thinking about the Henneman size principle here and hypertrophy, I'm thinking about a couple different things. I'm thinking about in portion the velocity in which I'm asking people to do repetitions. I'm thinking about the duration of the set as well. Because if I have a client moving really, really slowly, right, four seconds up, four seconds down, the velocity in which she or she might be moving right now in this kind of chest press motion might not be reaching the biggest muscle fibers. Might only be getting some of the smaller ones and the medium ones until, as Brandon mentioned, fatigue starts to sit in. Because as fatigue starts happening to the small, those medium fibers, we're starting requiring more of those larger fibers to come in there as well. And so if you're working with clients who want to gain some muscle, especially if maybe they're a little bit more sensitive, you can have them go a little bit slower so the, the total amount of like force they're feeling every time they're doing a repetition is lower, but they're doing more of them. 
right? Because we know force has a velocity component, right? As well as a mass component, right? Really, really fast velocity, lots of mass, huge amount of force that could do some damage to stuff, right? But if you have, let's say, moderate amount of, uh, of, uh, of mass and like a moderate velocity, much smaller chance that something's gonna go wrong. And you can have that person go closer and closer to failure if they can tolerate that and really stimulate the small, you know, medium and those larger fibers. That's a great way to get some hypertrophy. Likewise, we can also do things a little bit differently where if we have a client and they feel pretty good, we've determined all their joint structures are healthy and they can go and do things fast, we may be able to have that person explode up and because they're going really, really fast, even within that one contraction that might last less than a second, the body's really quickly recruiting small to large muscle fibers within milliseconds because that's how fast the nervous system can recruit these things when it feels good. So we have that recruitment of all those muscle fibers, control, 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 all those muscle fibers, control, 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 and not even really have to go to failure to get a really strong hypertrophy response of all the different muscle, failure, uh, muscle fibers. Why? Because every single repetition is accessing all those muscle fibers. They're all being stimulated, which is one of the reasons why you can see people do hypertrophy. And as long as they're pushing pretty fast and exploding, they can leave three, four, up to five reps in the bank, not have to worry about maybe irritating some of these structures and still get some hypertrophy. Or like, you, or like I said, you can do the reverse where if you know that loading them really, really quickly is going to be too much force on the system, you can have them just kind of go um, really, really slow with a moderate amount of weight and fatigue them out that way. Either way, we're respecting what their bodies can do, but now we're utilizing um, the size principle in different ways to stimulate hypertrophy in different modalities, so to speak, not to be too redundant. No, I think it's interesting because it kind of gets into like the powerlifting world. I remember the first time I was exposed... I mean, I tried, I took a stab at powerlifting and I got pretty strong, but I blew my back. So didn't go a hundred percent. well. <laughs> but the thing that I didn't do, I will tell you for sure. Um, I was younger and I didn't follow one of the cardinal rules, which is as you're doing the powerlifting, you have to kind of stay away from fatigue. Like you have to stay away from submaximal loads. And I went to fatigue uh, with heavy, heavy, heavy loads a lot. And I did get stronger fast, but obviously my material mechanics couldn't tolerate it. When you think about that Henneman thing, and you talk, you also talk about the um, the incremental cascading curves we talked about with Jacques. When you're talking about it, I mean, there's something really beautiful there because if you can access the top end of the fast twitch force development and rate of force development side of things with the fast twitch fibers, but you stay away from fatigue, and you so it's like let's say you can deadlift 400 pounds and you do 450 pounds. If you stick, sorry, 350 pounds, that was wrong, uh, you go a little bit lighter, you can actually consistently train that response to get more efficient at using all those muscles. It's when you start to fatigue that sometimes less awesome things start to happen where the skeletal muscle fails and the material takes a bit more stress. So here's the nice thing about this. Is as we talk about this and start to understand this, uh, you can kind of apply this ideology to uh, pretty much everything <laughs> in the fitness world is just another one of those translucent pieces of paper that Tom Purvis talks about in your stack of knowledge. I think it's cool. Absolutely. And so, I mean, uh, right now, even just talking about this for, what, less than 30 minutes, I think we've all got so many really cool practical applications. I mean, you can use this Henneman size principle to help people build muscle, to help people open up their range of motion ability, to help them access muscles they might not have had before. 
Um, you know, to borrow from the brilliant uh, Tom Purvis in RTS, he's got that whole idea of like um, internal performance on one end and then just do it mode on the other end. And if you link, think about this continuum, if you look at like a single joint, the muscles are going to fire and the nervous system that's responsible for making them fire, you might have uh, on one side here, like not being able to do very, uh, very much at all, you might not even be able to access those muscle uh, motor units. And then maybe you can contract a little bit, but you might not even have enough strength to bring your arm up. And then maybe you can bring your arm up, then your arm up plus weight. And then you can kind of do that more autonomously. And then you can have that work with other multiple joints till you get to where a lot of athletes are, just do it mode. And all their joints, their body, a body, God willing, if they're amazing athletes and they feel good, are all working for them. But if we can really identify for these, key, for these clients where those joints are, where they don't have a lot of control over them, they can't really do a lot with them, they're not very, very strong, right? The internal performance control is very low. We can use that Henneman principle to have them do the lightest contractions in those positions. And because those light contractions fly under the radar of the pain response, of the this isn't good for me response that the body's already guarding against, and the body feels like actually this is nice here, we start seeing that improvement happen almost automatically. One of the ways I think about it um, is almost like a champagne tower. If you've ever seen like those big expensive weddings where they've got one glass on the top of a champagne tower and then there's four glasses underneath that and underneath that there's eight of them and there's 16 underneath there and the whole allure of the effect is you pour the champagne in the top glass and as you keep pouring more in champagne, you know, the first single one gets filled, then the next four, then the next eight, then the next 16. Well, that's kind of how your body recruits muscle fibers, but over, again, milliseconds, where it recruits that smallest one first, then the next, then the next, then the next layer. And if your body feels like it's protecting against that, it won't even let you fill that top cup up, restricting you from filling out the rest of those cups underneath. But if you pour that drink in really, really slowly, which is akin to a really small muscle contraction, the body's like, this is okay, it'll slowly then fill out the other muscles, the other champagne glasses, then the next ones, and the next ones. And before you know it, over time, you've got control of all these different motor units. And that's really, at the end of the day, a strong marker for how strong you, how well can you control your body. Because if your body feels comfortable accessing all its motor units at any given time, that's a healthy, moving, robust body. And ultimately, it's one of the things we're trying to do with all of our pain and discomfort clients, is having them have quick access over all the different motor units all the time so they can feel and move amazingly. Yeah, I think some really cool, really, really cool stuff there. There's just one thing that I was just thinking about when you were talking about that, because all that was beautiful. And the champagne analogy, I mean, very, very good visual. We've talked about in the past, um, this is kind of like going into a deeper conversation. I'm just going to touch on it. If you want to go us to go deeper into it again, we can. But the idea of taking a strength curve and a resistance profile, and should we make the resistance profile how heavy and light an exercise is, match the skeletal muscle and not. And I was all in on the Arthur Jones idea for a while where you should have the most perfect profile to the individual. I think there is something extremely efficient there. But on the potentiation end and on the Henneman principle end, those small moments where you're going down the stairs, you experience about a high amount of force on the step, then you remove your leg and there isn't force going through the leg for a second, and you have a few microseconds before your next leg hits the ground, that same leg hits the ground, your body potentiates the muscle, recruits some more muscles, moves things from the smaller to the next big and the next big. I think there's something really cool about mismatched profiles, like where you have a resistance profile that's opposite to the strength curve. 
you don't necessarily get to access the full range of motion, but what you do get is you get a bunch of exposure to force in lengthened positions and shortened positions depending on the exercise. And you have to practice getting out of there. When you get out of there and you take that split second, you're not even voluntarily doing it, maybe you are, but you get to that position where your arm's fully extended and you get that nice moment arm break. Your body strategically recruits bigger stuff and more stuff and bigger muscle fibers in the same motor unit. And then it goes back and does it again. And you're kind of consistently getting stronger and better until you're not. I think it's just like such a beautiful and cool thing. I love it. There's, I feel like so many different uh, things we could talk about here. I think practically, if you're, if you're listening to this here, um, one of the things that you might be able to apply and start doing is, is think about how this is going to affect some of your clients. If you have a client that you know has some real serious range of motion restrictions and is, is having a hard time and you're having a hard time figuring out how to progress them, think about the size principle thing about using really small amounts of force dose appropriately for them and then moving into more um, larger ones uh, and more uh, larger dose of force, I should say, and see if you can apply this Henneman principle to help them improve their strength and their range of motion in these hard positions. Um, one of the great things that um, you know, I learned from Brandon and, and I've heard from other mentors as well is study for the gig. I know Brandon's really, really huge on this and we preach this to all of our people as well, but if you're going to take this information and you want to really put it to practical use, think about how it applies to your clients. The people that are in front of you, the ones that you're struggling with the most, right? The ones that you want to be able to help that you are having a hard time moving the needle with. And think about how can I use this information with the size principle, the Hedeman principle to start helping this person? Because that's when you're going to be able to get more creative. And once you learn how to use this principle with the, maybe the most broken or beat up or deconditioned people, it's going to be a lot easier with everyone else. Couldn't agree more. Oh, I think that's a great place to put a pin in it. I absolutely agree with you 100%, which brings us to our favorite segment, and you always get me first, but I got you first this time. Glenn, Brandon. what is your pick of the uh, week? No, what is your pick of the week, Brandon? <laughs> um, I want to throw the idea out there of principle stacking. Uh, we've talked about skill stacking in the past, and when we're talking about the stuff we're talking about today with uh, resistance profiles, strength profiles, the Henneman principle, size principle, I, I think that from an academic sense, but also a practical sense, you gain exponential freedom within a subject if you can understand the principles within the subject instead of just remembering facts. Uh, perfect example being this Henneman principle. The Henneman principle is an idea and a shape that you can apply in a lot of different settings within fitness. It can't be your governing thought process, but you can take that principle and stack it with other ideas like microprogression. And suddenly if you take the principle of microprogression and the principle of Henneman principle, and you work them together, you can think of infinite possibilities. Obviously, everyone knows I love playing music and I love drums. And one of the things I think that just gives independent in so much freedom is you take an idea and another idea and you stack them together. And once you got that control, let's add some post-activation potentiation on that. Once you feel good with that, let's add machine analysis. And even though machine analysis isn't quite studying for the gig, it gives you a whole new lens. So when you go back to the previous principles, you go, oh my God, I can see things that I couldn't see before. So in your studying for the gig, pick subjects that are principle-based so you can learn one thing and really apply it in a thousand different settings. I, I, got, I probably could pick something tech-wise if you guys want, but I think that that for me is where my head's at lately. Is How do I take one idea and get the most from it? I love it. Um, that's fantastic. Um, my pick of the week is going to be tracking. And um, conceptually, I want you to think about why do you track the way you do and is it serving you and your clients? I think a lot of times when we're new in the industry, the first thing we default to is tracking sets and reps. That seems to be for a lot of people the holy grail. Um, and you know, the question is why? Well, why do we track sets and reps? And, and for the most part, it's, 
you know, so we can figure out what way to do with the client next time if we're doing the same machine or so we can show them progress. What I would challenge you to do is focus on note taking that's going to help you actually progress your clients further than just the amount of weight on the bar uh, and take notes that are not just about the technical stuff, but how it made them feel and how they're thinking about it. When I take my notes, I used to do, for example, um, like Nautilus hip abduction machine, 85 pounds for 20, 19, 18. Well, great. It tells me that there's a little bit of a drop off. What I started doing for myself, I started tracking the top end set when they're freshest, so I get an idea of the, the most they did that day. And then the rest of my notes on that exercise is about how it felt. Hip pinched in end range of motion on the right hand side. When we started pushing in this way, it changed the hip sensation. And these notes you'll find become more and more valuable because when you look back, it's not just about what weight are we choosing anymore, it's what small things did we do that made a big difference for the client. And now you can build upon those. Because at the end of the day, the note taking shouldn't serve you because it's what you've always done. The note taking should serve you to better give your clients more value and deliver a better experience out of your sessions. And if you can make notes about what your clients like and don't like, how, what things did that made a big difference, what things caused pain and discomfort, your note taking is gonna be a lot more robust and you have a lot better information to plan and program the next sessions with. If you can plan and program the next sessions better, you're gonna be delivering a higher product, better client experience, more value, which ultimately allows you to charge more for new clients coming to your, into your sessions and raise your rates. It means the client gets more, you're more viable, you get to make more money, and because of that, you get to have more freedom in your life. It's a real win for everyone. So my pick of the week is tracking, not just tracking numbers, tracking information is actually gonna add a lot more value to your session and make your job easier in the future. Fitness Pro Mentor community, welcome to another episode of the show. Glenn and I are really enjoying this and having a lot of fun talking about exercise science topics. If you found this episode valuable and you enjoyed it, send us a message, let us know, comment below in the Facebook group, the Fitness Promenters group, and say, we want more science. We're going to be talking about a little more business, a little more science, and have a lot of fun. Got great guests coming up. You love it, but Glenn... Thanks so much for your time today, man. Thank you. And you mind if I had one more thing in there? Sure. If you want more science stuff, tell us some stuff that you might be struggling with with your clients. And let's see what the themes are. If we had, if we had a couple different people come, we get 10 different people commenting, we can see some common themes. We'll absolutely talk about it and address that because it's clearly important to you. So give us your feedback. We want to help you build your business. And so tell us what you're struggling with so we can help, okay? And listen to the music again. Boom, boom. Bye, everybody. We'll see you guys soon. Bye, guys. Have a great day. Subscribe.